Okay. Oh, so wicked. He also has a cover of an Eminem song. Yeah. 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 Mariachi and NFL theme song. Yo, your algorithm is wild, huh? I just want to see his YouTube homepage with him. (laughs) It's just, yeah. (laughs) It's just Joe Rogan, Mariachi, and the theme song. It's in the gay sports. (laughs) It's in the gay. Oh, you know what? I watched a lot of uh, random. I watch like pond people building ponds. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Big into the pond community yeah. on YouTube, <laughs> like a huge community. That's like, such a random beavers. topic. Like beavers making dams yeah. and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be sitting there just tweaking, and I did watching the motherfuckers did build like the little structures and shit. Yeah, those little like I'll be watch dude for hours. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I also watch airsoft matches. Like, oh, dude, oh, yeah, dude, that shit gets my dick hard. I know the airsoft doesn't excite me. The paintball, I'll dude. Watch. I'll watch an airsoft gun. Review. Do you guys want to go paintballing? They'll be sitting there talking all the stats. I'm just like, yeah, dude. Do you, you would have loved my last job, bro. You would have loved my last job. <laughs> do you play? No, I don't do it. I don't play anything other than with my. Because I paintball, and I w- I will challenge you. I will, yeah, ask Raphael. Dashiell. He knows we do. Yeah, I actually did a video for the Nudge on Snow paintball field but yeah i, I do, do i'm so down i have a sick gun uh a paintball gun don't come for me everybody so it's kind of expensive but if we if we all planned like like a day where we just drove somewhere like mm-hmm. a dispersed campground then you just bring your own paintballs and like we could just get an extra or borrow dashiell probably has some extra yeah guns. yeah yeah my dad has a couple extras that i've been trying to get from him forever but i only have my one that i bought for myself now I used to host Nerf Nerf War parties for kids. Dude, that's the best. Kids are vicious little psychos. In L.A., around L.A. It's van, dude. Yeah, I would like just, uh, I had like two boxes of... (laughs) They say the Nerf gun, yeah. Did you, were you like... I used to have two big-ass containers of Nerf guns. Like all from the elites to the fucking little pea shooters. And it had a couple barriers and a speaker, man. How old were you? Thirty-eight. Thirty-eight. So you were around when Nerf was like mm-hmm. sick. Yeah, and I was obsessed with it. So what about? So you seen the new Nerf? Don't be touching my. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all playing footsies? We're <laughs> <laughs> gonna touch each other tomorrow at the roast battle. So. <laughs> They have the Nerf swords and axes now, dude. Oh, I've seen those. Oh, that shit's so sick. I wish we would have had that when I was a kid because I would have beat the fuck. Yeah. <laughs> but they're soft. They're super soft. Dude, I would have beat him smart. Dude. Yeah. I would have beat him. <laughs> I would have beat him right. Dude. Like He would have been, He would have went from half retarded to fully. Yeah. I used to spend a lot of my birthday money on Nerf guns. Love those things. Yeah. No, I never had one of those. That was like a rich kid thing. Okay. I, I, I was... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are those. Your economic, your, your, uh, what do you call it? Socioeconomic status decides which guns you, which nerve guns you actually get. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's always like that. Of course. Did you really? Punch, dude. (laughs) I was going to say that as a joke. Thank you so much. I I did. Vote for Tony Hitchcliff on that show. Yeah, Can yeah, I yeah. ask you a question I didn't tell you I was going to ask just because I'm genuinely curious? All right, go ahead. So, like, how did you get into writing for shows? I know you know a lot of people, and, like, some of that's knowing people, but, yeah. like, where does one who has no idea 
I know you don't have a perfect answer. Where do you like turn to start looking for? I, I just feel like there's like two ways to do it, right? You can be this annoying person who fucking <laughs> sends emails and fucking sends your samples and you can fucking you really want it bad. Yeah. Or you can just wait until people ask you like, hey, I need your help with this. Because they like your shit. Because they, they like your writing. Because they want to write with you. So that's mostly for you. It's like the opportunities naturally. Yeah, I like to let them flow. I don't really like pursue heavily, you know? Mm-hmm. But I'd rather like, I've written for people. I've written on shows, but I don't like, I'm not like, I'm samples. I'm just like, as opportunities come, I'm like, yes or no. Yes or no. Yeah. Like, it was like 50, 50, 50. You know what right. I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Try this one. What's George Perez, yeah, I helped him write too. I'll tell you. I didn't know that Tony Henscope was on. Was he? Yeah, it was, it was an edited version that we were doing with George Perez. I was in it too, and uh, I went up against George Perez. But I ended up, I was a writer, was but a they brought me in. That, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah, yeah. George Perez. Was... That's super. I've been doing this for a long time. I said I got a kid with a mustache. I wish I could have room writers. What's the joke with the room writers? Is that you? Anyway, it's a good joke. I never even would have thought that Room Raiders had like scripted. I guess that makes sense. That, that, but course. so this is we were talking about YouTube. But I'm way off track. We're just going to talk about shit now. But this is still relating to comedy. I think there's like n- good nuggets in here. And I've been smoking weed for a while. No, John, I'm going to explain something. No, <laughs> no, you know, so I didn't know. Okay. Wanna lose I didn't know that like and this sounds stupid but in earnest, but right we talked about the shitting diapers comparison of like how long I've been doing comedy, right? I didn't realize that stealing jokes was a thing because like in other things that I've done, it's just like with like paintings and stuff, like the idea of stealing somebody like that, it's more it's more difficult to do, less common. So in my brain, I was like, there's no way somebody would ever just go out there and blatantly like be that much of a dick, right? So I just within the last six months found that on YouTube and like was watching, like I didn't know anything until I saw an old, old clip of Joe Rogan ranting. Okay. And I was like, what is this? And he was around. I started just like binging and then I watched stuff about Amy Schumer and then I went way further back and then I was listening to like the accusations about Rob and Williams and I was like this mate like it's interesting and it's like upsetting but it's also like how do you how do you like separate that from ghostwriting or like writing jokes for a show and how are how are those jokes vetted do you think differently now like did they ever talk to you guys about like making sure that nothing you know, you sounds just, like other we are all complete whores for money <laughs> that's a and simple you answer. know that once you've been compensated for whatever you gave away you feel better about it yeah, yeah. And that's the difference between stealing jokes and writing for people. Is that you're paid for the joke, yeah, so you're, you're good. Paid, yeah. Pay for your talent, your time, and energy it takes. All right. You know who's an expert on stealing jokes? Who? Fucking Raphael. John, I don't think we need... We're good. We can sell... John, there's no audience. This is what it's like to have a live audience, everybody. We're being heckled by John. But being <laughs> a writer is still... It feels like being the bridesmaid, though. You just like you know, like tell jokes for thirty. You know, you could deliver better if you're a comedian and you're a writer. You're like, I could have fucking delivered better, but I'm giving it. They made the joke like half of what it could have been, but it was Mm. right. You could have delivered, could have delivered it better, but wouldn't have been seen by not necessarily you, but you know what I mean. Yeah, no, it's just having to put your ego to the side and be like, yo, I did all of that, but it's none of you know, no one's. Or not even, yeah, they fucked it up or they didn't fuck it up or just you didn't get any, you don't get any of the same glory. You know? mm-hmm. 
You don't get the same ego stroke. Yeah. yeah. So you do you like you do all of the many things you do like full time, right? Or no? No, that's probably a flaw in my in my whole. No, it's not. I mean, you're doing is like very admirable regardless that's why i'm curious because you do so much and that's part of it is like understanding the balance that people maintain right as they like pursue comedy because it's it's a lot i think i just (laughs) do what i'm good at though you know yeah like there's a lot of shit i suck at and i just don't do that stuff you know unless i really like want to break through on it but most of the time i want to just swim upstream like the things that i'm doing it like they come easy to me and i look for things that come easy to me and when they do come easy to me, like, I fuck, I do it. And I don't, like, fucking waste too much time on things that don't come easy to me. I resonate with that. That makes sense. Right. Do you find that, like, have you found, at least with comedy, that writing is more, I don't want to say profitable, but, like, is that more reliable no. for you? No. Because <laughs> it's curious with the writer's strike. Well, like, because I don't, I, because of the way I pursue making weird faces with me and nobody it. thinks but Okay. <laughs> When you're really quiet, I don't know what to, I don't know what you're thinking. Yeah. And <laughs> you're, <laughs> I don't know Mark Neuer's thinking faces. I just don't often see you just thinking, looking at me. It's weird. He's like, look at he's over there thinking. That's fucking creeping me out. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. Thank There's you for smoke coming out of his ears right now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right. Start to run in place now. He's done thinking. He'll be back. It's too, too hard now. He needs a cigarette. <laughs> I ask those questions at the risk of sounding dumb because I think other people are curious too. And it's okay. cool because since starting this podcast, like, I thought maybe I was silly for having certain questions. And people ask me about stuff all the time that, like, I know from my job, right? Like, yeah. I do marketing and people ask me about, like, making clips and and like you do lots of difference that you like you obviously do clips and then siobhan who is going to be here today like he's an incredible artist and then he does like video and i think animation i want to talk to him more about that but also like produces shows you know at least one for hella funny but he may have more that i don't know about so i mean it's like i noticed that in a lot of people and i think that it's cool to ask about like how you pursue all of because people always told me like pick one or pick yeah. like two or three all right so yeah. like, i'm not a pick one guy right but like i feel like what i work on i have like different seasons and like mm-hmm. whatever like i'm feeling like whatever like artistically i feel like doing like i like stay true to that you know like sometimes yeah. but like this time when i get in the mood i'm smoking and i just want to start making music it doesn't happen I smoke all the time, but every yeah. now and then I'm like, "Fuck!" I'm I'm hearing beats and I got I got fucking songs coming to me. And when they when that happens, like I jump in the studio and try to make them. You know what I mean? And when, if I'm like having an urge to do a movie or work on a movie, I'll do it. I want to complete it. You know, you just. Uh, but I'm also like, I, I only focus on one thing at a time too, so mm-hmm. it kind of it helps. But you're doing better. Yeah, that's kind of a gift, <laughs> actually. Um, focus on one to be able to focus really hard on things. Right, right, yeah. I'll just thing. go tunnel vision on whatever. But that's why I have to be good at it and I have to want to do it. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, all the stars have to align. That's why, like, sometimes we're doing... Like, right now, I'm running around doing fucking shows around San Francisco right now. Mm. That's what I feel like doing. I'm working on, do, like, casting and shit like that. Like, I'm still doing it from my phone, but I can do that out here while I'm fucking just running around San Francisco. Mm. Dude, I've been doing a bunch of hikes and shit, and then I'm doing fucking comedy in the daytime. So, yeah. 
Yeah. I think that's the best. I mean, for me, like I don't do things that I don't like very well either. Like I was like that as a kid in school. I my par- I would get really good grades and then I would have like one or two classes where I would do bad and my parents would ask and I was just like, I don't like it, you mm-hmm. know? And I think that that is kind of how people bring their best work to the table. And a lot of kids, I think there are, there's a special brand of person that can have like a normal corporate job yeah. and bring yeah. their best work to the table. Yeah. I don't and understand it. it. I'm like, kill me. I'm good. Like, yeah. I just, Hate those people. <laughs> I'm I'm a I'm a company man when it comes to comedy. Yeah, well, it's different man. That's so different think, than working in a corporation. You know, but like I don't, I have no idea. Or dude, I understand corporations fucking suck. I've never, so I have no idea. Being able to bring the same level of organization and strategy to something artistic is also a special skill. Yeah, that's, right? what, I, that's, that's what I mean. Like, yeah, if you can you can figure that out, and then you have like something else going, and you, and you put that same energy into that, you got it. You know. Yeah. Especially in this day and age, it's not, it's not just about being a good artist. It's about being good at social media and promoting yourself and reaching out, doing all that mm-hmm. stuff. Right. So, and then you got to like be good at so many things. You got to like, you got to be good at editing and at least, at least proficient. You know yeah. what I'm saying? If you're an artist at all, you have to be at least proficient in editing on Instagram. Yeah. And I've noticed too, like my mom's an artist and I love her, right? And she needs help with social media. She, so her like thing is to ask me to help. And I notice like a lot of people kind of get frozen and not wanting to learn something. And so they'd rather just like have their friend make a one off video. And like, I get it. But for one, like we don't want to rely on our friends for things for free. Like we're already doing a bunch of shit for free. Like we want to like build each other up and shit. Like we should be learn. We should be like helping each other learn how to do it and then how to like promote it. And so that's kind of like I want to help people figure that out. But also like people talk about having an extra $30 a month or something like you can actually get somebody to edit like a few clips for you a month for like very cheap. It's it's not. Yeah. Like it makes me feel kind of weird. I mean, look through those people are looking for work like they make those profiles and they set their own rates just like we set our own rates for comedy. Mm-hmm. And like there are people in other countries all over the world that are wanting jobs remotely to design thing, yeah anything it could be a video intro a lot of people don't know that and i think it's just be if you've never hired somebody to do something creative or you haven't worked in like a position that Mm -hmm. then you probably don't realize it but i've gotten a few things off fiverr like you could literally go home right now and make a profile as like a voiceover artist Mm -hmm. and like oh thank you i'm just saying you could like any of us could I mean, also, I'm. Oh, no, you're not special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't get the wrong I'm answer. I'm not trying to be an asshole, but that was my point. Your, uh, I'm not saying you have a nice voice. No. <laughs> I'm not trying to build up your confidence here. <laughs> so I look. <laughs> Sometimes I'm an accidental asshole. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't get any confidence right now. <laughs> I mean, I think that probably any comedian could pursue that, actually, and maybe do well as a voice artist. But because they need a lot of different what you don't have to have a crazy voice to do it. But my point wasn't like, oh, your voice is great. My point was like, you can go set up a profile for anything and, and make money now, like on like Fiverr. I was also saying for like people who are like, oh, there are a lot of people with like full time jobs that are more serious that are doing comedy now. I've noticed, too, which is interesting. Right. And if you have an extra 30 or 50 dollars a month, you can actually get like some help if you are like saying you don't want to do social media so that's one option but most comedians are fucking broke and that's not their life and like the other option is learning which is what Damar was saying is like you have to learn at least a little bit of editing and figure yeah, shit out gotta... but I used to be uh, I used to subscribe to uh, Gary V y'all know Gary yeah I know yeah. Gary V but I tapped out of that mentality because it's exhausting I stopped watching him too yeah he's just he's a lot and he has he has a huge team 
And you know what? I do some of the things he was hiring for and I went online and I did apply at one point, but then I went and looked at Glassdoor and I looked at his employee reviews. The people at his company don't seem as happy as he. So it's like, it's always that catch 22. He's a like, very anxiety inducing type of guy. Yeah. Cause the yard sales like all jacked up. Like, give me that. Well, you got that Grant Cardone and, and it's true. Cause nobody cares, but that's a capitalistic mind. You know what I mean? Like, Where's the money? You know, who's got, who's got my money? That, that mentality is like, it is exhausting. Yeah. So exhausting. And I don't like this. Sorry. Hey, come here. And I, I don't really have like dreams of being famous. You know what I mean? I don't want to be, that's yeah, not man. my goal. It's not my goal. Just be yeah. famous is not my goal. Like, like my dream is to have fucking kids in a family. You know what I mean? Mm. That's my fucking dream. This is my talent. Like, this is my gift to the world. I sometimes do comedy begrudging. Really? Because yeah, I resent, it, like, it. I resent comedy sometimes because I'm like, fuck, I could be doing so much better yeah, right in, now. In life, in general. Yeah. Financially. Uh, yeah, I could yeah. be a fucking millionaire right but now. But you wouldn't doing comedy. Right. And that's that's where we're at. That's what we're talking about with those corporate jobs. Like, I mean, you know, people make, I worked for a corporation my last job. You make a lot of money, but it's fucking soul-sucking, dude. It's lame as hell. Um, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the truth, man. Without comedy, like, it's like, you know, I think a lot of people use comedy. Like, it's like not everybody's yeah. serious about it. You know? like, that's very true. There's so many dorks that do comedy. Uh, like, dorks, dude. Just I'm not, it's not, out, yeah. Dude. Look, he's right here, dude. Uh. Straight lobster. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what lobsters mean? No, but yeah, I can. Yeah, he told me that shit the other day. Like, it was some I cool new slang or something. You guys look like, like you guys look like stepbrothers. Yeah, don't we? Yeah. yeah. They yeah. fight like stepbrothers. They do. <laughs> Your dad's a bitch, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like stepbrothers too. Yeah. He takes good care of you though. Yeah. Like, Fuck you, he's a bitch. They actually they say goodnight to each other every night. Well, no, I'm sure, yeah. them every night is what I've been thinking about. Because mm. I tell Mess I was saying Because we got a roast battle tomorrow. Okay. So I gotta be thinking right. about it. You know what I hate about roast battle? It's just how long you think about vile shit about someone else. Yeah, dude. <laughs> The time, the time period of like just uh, it keeps I want to just man. destroy this one. Yeah. Mark's got a lot to think about. It's really been, really been heavy. Yeah. yeah, it's been a heavy. Yeah, it's been very depressing. Yeah. Things so I'm about to say it. about him tomorrow has been really bumming me out. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I bet you he has three. All right, what do you think they are? One, two, and three. Okay, my, my, both my titties and my stomach. Dude, he's gonna talk about my. He's gonna talk about my. Outfit. But he doesn't have much we'll space to do that. We'll see. He's not like super in shape. He's got to have some other stuff. Yeah, yeah. What can you? How much can he really? Yeah, like, are you not doing any fat jokes on the roast battle? You I, do a couple I don't think jokes. I have a single. <laughs> I don't think you have a single joke at all. <laughs> I think you're just planning on going up there and riffing, doing what you're doing now. No, that's what you're. No, that's what I think is gonna happen. <laughs> you're just gonna go be Mark. You're gonna go be Mark. Eh, look at me. Yeah. Just remember, this is being recorded, dear. Oh, oh. Be careful, you two, because I'm gonna clip this shit can up later. <laughs> No, uh -oh. I, I have nigga? another joke I wish I could <laughs> make about that. But. <laughs> that was me on the mic just now. <laughs> that was it for those listening at home. Damar didn't say that. That was nigga, me. What? <laughs> okay. That's, that's, usually when there's a lull in the conversation, it's because Mark's about to come. So that's what's happening. And Raphael's touching him again. Yeah. Oh, you got any more comedy questions? Yeah, you know we're getting to the we're getting to the end of the evening, and I've derailed <laughs> all kinds of what questions. So I have like two more that I would love to that I would love to ask you. 
What's one of them is like, what are the major projects you're working on right now? What's your biggest inspiration? Is that what you said? <laughs> I like how your cheeks got all rosy and you like smiled the biggest I've ever. You get so wholesome. Like he has this wall. Like he has this voice he uses when he sees like a like a Walnut Creek lady, like like needs something. He's just like, what can I do for you, baby? Just like all this, like so wholesome. Uh-huh. <laughs> so wholesome, a little creepy, but very wholesome. It's really funny. I think it's it's enjoyable to I watch. I think she sees through you. Is what she's saying. <laughs> Not a good liar. He's blushing. He's turning as red as that wall behind him. I've been drinking these fucking racist beers. Fucking straight Holocaust yeah. beers, dude. You're not, you're not Irish, That's huh? what he's saying for the best. <laughs> no Irish in you? You're not Irish? Yeah, a little Irish. Not enough. All right, what are the big projects that you're working on right now? Oh. Well, uh, let's, uh, let's cut out Mark talking about his cock subtly for like 20 minutes. He just stroked the microphone in defeat. Yeah. <laughs> then the Mark's. Mark gets overtly sexual affection. Just, ig- to- just ignore Mark stroking the mic and tell us about yourself. <laughs> what am I? What am I? What am I working on? Me. That's the biggest thing I'm always working on. I was working on me. You know what I mean? It's the biggest project. Fucking the hugest project, man. Taking uh, taking uh, Zoloft. <laughs> greatest. I support this. Way to work, way to work on yourself. Uh, man, one of the greatest things I ever did for myself. Yeah. Fucking, what a great gift it was for me to. I don't know, man. But wherever it is, fucking, I hope it keeps flowing, man. That's just. John great. wants to know where the Zoloft came from. Uh, <laughs> so are you, you're in the city for what, like another week? Yeah. Okay. To the 29th. Do you have any more? Any more shows? I hate telling what when I'm the dates I'm leaving. Okay. Oh, yeah. I got a bunch of shows coming. If you want to find out why we talked about worms for like five minutes at the beginning of this episode, you better go to Maze on Friday and find oh, yeah. out about the worms. I got jokes about worms. Yeah, I think it's just a, no one expects me to talk about worms. No one expects me to talk about worms. No one expects worms to be a banger. Right. Go on and on about these worms. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you got to find you like a joke that's like, it don't have to be a worm joke, but let me send you in a direction of just obscure. Yeah. You want to be able to dive into something, something minute and make it a huge. Like dissect that worm. Make it your own. Mm Mm-hmm. You know how uh, Jerry Seinfeld John, goes in on that uh, pop-tart for like fucking Jerry Seinfeld's pop-tart bit? I don't feel like that. Yeah. Yeah. The Hot Pockets too, kind of close, but the pop-tart, he really like just dives in and like dissects the fucking pop-tart. You're like, all right, I like that. Yeah. Did you have more parts of the worm joke that you wrote like a bunch of other things about worms that you were like, this is weird, but good No, the information? story really kind of just wrote itself. Because it's all real. Those are the best. And I just like. It's all real, really? Kind of how exactly how it happened. It's like, it's not a bit. So you did murder a worm? Yes. (laughs) Okay. More than one. You bastard. More than one worm. Yeah, more than one worm. Like, that was a real. Like, that's all real. I'm not that that good. I'm I'm more. I'm better at retelling a story and putting you there than I am at, like, creating one. Yeah, I hear that. Most of the jokes that I do have that are really consistent are true stories that came from my family. <laughs> yeah, I don't like to do anything that's not, like, from the heart, because I, yeah. I don't have to worry about memorizing. Right. Forget the words, you know? Yeah. I'll never forget the words. It's hard to, it's hard to forget the words. Right. Yeah. Just shoot. Right, and then you mm-hmm. can, like, I can, like, uh, uh, riff in between it, because I know the story already, so it's like, all right, look at Right back to it. That's Zoloft too, though. I like that. <laughs> Fucking performance enhancing drug. 
Yeah, hell yeah. That's just for like uh, about a year and a half. What, is it, what does it do to you? I think, all right, well, he it says it helps you. Yeah, that's one. <laughs> that's one. He goes, that's why I take it. <laughs> I think it helps me, like, stay focused. I think it uh, helps my frustration. It helps, I know it helps my frustration tolerance. And it helps me stay organized. Like your anger? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your anger management? Yeah. Your frustration tolerance. Which that's is a good way to say that's it. That's an interesting way to say it. That was sneaky. Yeah. Now, that's, that's what fucking... That's uh, like a, that's like, I was about to say, you repeated that word from your therapist. I go to therapy. I know what that was. <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah, yeah. I was like, how does this help? He goes, this is good. It's good. I was like, no, fuck that. I need to know, how is this helping me? He goes, gonna increase your frustration tolerance <laughs> they always, they always have that, to like soften you it, it from, yeah. you got it from him your yeah, frustration yeah. Yeah. your frustration like, fuck you tell me how it works <laughs> it was well well uh and uh, it increases like, this isn't gonna happen anymore yeah, yeah. you blowing up at me <laughs> do you think do you still feel like it impacts your writing at all yes Positively in a good way negative. in a good way that's okay. good i so. think when i first got on i was scared yeah, I, I get worried because I, so I'm about to go back on something that they're treating my thyroid instead, but I used to be on you have something. Your thyroid still? Yeah, yeah, but I used to be on depression medication. Like when I, I started, I was on that younger and I've been on like a few different ones in my life and then I was off of it. And then like two years ago, I got on medication for my thyroid and they were like, instead of like all this other stuff, like we're going to try and deal with that because that's often for women, like what the mm-hmm. issue is, right? right. And then I got I caught COVID and like just didn't pick up my prescription. So I'm gonna try it again. But I don't I am always afraid, right? Yeah. That it's gonna take something something of yourself. Yeah. And that was the thing about poetry, which was like I can't you can't be like I mean, some people do, but it's like it's hard to be a depressed person and be a successful poet because you're like literally mining like your trauma for content all the time. Right, right, right. You know? Because <laughs> yeah, that's what hits at the poetry show. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I totally get what you're saying. That's but I've noticed like yo, know, people will be like I'm scared I'm not going to be myself. I'm like, that is exactly why you're taking the pill. Yeah. <laughs> you're so yeah. fucking sucks. Yeah, you suck. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not myself. I'm like, isn't that, that's why you're, you're, like, you're thank God. That's a positive mental health note to end on. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it is. You're sad. Yeah. <laughs> you're sad. There are, I think there are a lot of comedians who write well, but I struggle with this sometimes. It's hard to break out of your like normal whatever. And it's the same thing with social media as it is on stage. It's Uh like you have to learn how to like whatever energy you want out of the audience, you have to put that out to get it back. Like I know as a host, I'm trying to like feel like I do pretty well as a host, but I think I can put more energy into especially when I'm high, Uh right? And so I think that's like a big thing to for people to be cognizant of that happens a lot i notice yeah but i also notice too i tend to write a story and like it as it is and then just riff and not go back and write more and yeah. focus more on the stage press so everybody does it different and i, I think that's also what's cool so i'm always that. trying new like new ways to do it and trying to add something new like the worm joke yeah like <laughs> the worm joke i'm like oh they laughed at this mm-hmm. i got oh, I'll, I'll give them that too do, i got this so you lie on stage right you never lie on stage. You never write lies into your jokes. Change really how they really happen. Fucking, you really, you I really may embellish some things for the sake of embellishing. Is a, yeah, it's a little different. Right. Yeah, but you never, you never, you never like sit down and think like, oh, that's a funny story. And then you sit down and think, what if this happened? 
that and like go off in a di- you never do anything quite like that or well if it's like imaginary it still came from a real place like itsy bitsy st- spider bit where i talk about like how inspirational the itsy bitsy spider was i only have seen that but i was like, high one day and i was like thinking about the itsy bitsy spider for like way too long right then it became a bit yeah that wasn't a lie you actually were inspired yeah, by the itsy bitsy spider <laughs> I heard about the NCBC spider, and I was smoking and thinking about it, and I was like, yo, this people are like, I've been to this story. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, that is an inspirational story. Fuck yeah, it's yeah. inspirational. Down came the rain and washed the spider out. Yeah. Out came the sun. Dried up all, all the rain. NCBC yeah. spider walked out the spout again. That is 150% getting clipped later. That was Damn, really beautiful. I didn't realize how inspirational in. the child story that was. Like, that's what that story was for. That's why it was a popular story. It's like sometimes you get washed out. Yeah. But you go right back up the fucking spout. Go right out. Wow. Who would have thought? And there is the last thing that I think I'm going to start asking more people that come on the show that's kind of basic, but I think it's can be you can answer yellow people. Mark will probably yellow people when I ask him this one day. Doesn't matter if you're nice about it or whatever but like what's like if you were gonna say if you had one piece of it doesn't have to be advice but if you had like one comment whatever to new comedians what would you say it could be anything i had to focus if i had to say one if you had like one just like one piece of information to leave new comedians with you're not nervous that's good nice that was a dope answer there's no fears you're excited you've worked you put too much energy into into it to be unprepared for that moment so if you're, that would be the only reason why you'd be nervous. So if yeah, you're not yeah. prepared for the moment, fine. But most of the time, it's just excitement and nervousness comes from the same mm-hmm. space in your stomach. That's, mm-hmm. that's a really yeah. good point. A lot of times when I was starting out and I was nervous, it's because I sucked and I always bombed. Right. I was nervous. Now is when I'm ner- when I'm really nervous. When I that's when I well right. I bring it because you're really excited. Yeah, because I'm real. I'm ready to go. I'm right. locked in. Yeah. Watching Mark stare at you while you said that was really entertaining. <laughs> Dude, Mark just goes flush <laughs> lights and penises. That was a time. That's great answer though. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> Mark, get on a mic if you're gonna make rude comments. <laughs> you're not talking into the mic. We are doing an acapella podcast right now. John, all right you know what you guys this has been we are wrapping this confusing everybody shut the fuck up wow seriously you do hush for one moment sir and then i'm gonna hang out with you and share some weed with you yes look this has been a very fun episode this has been a dope episode i'm very uh-huh. grateful for the chaos thank you Jamar, for being yeah here. thanks for having me on the show thank you mark thank you Raphael, for being here i'm truly honored to be stalked i always love that uh-huh. oh yeah uh big red creeps i did think i'm gonna make Michelle that Obama in, my, in my hoodie did you miss no that? i missed that yeah you did i will go look at that again Michelle Obama. He's like, yeah, you did. That was the like Quentin Tarantino. He's like, you didn't read my book. Uh, Tom Segura's podcast. You didn't read my book. <laughs> you didn't read it. But yeah, go to Maze on Friday. At, it's 8 and... 7 o'clock and 9 o'clock. 7 and 9. Yeah, thanks for listening. Have a good week, everybody. Oh my gosh. Hey, thank you guys for listening. That has been our episode this week. Thank you again for being here. Please, if you haven't already... 
find us over on Instagram. We are at Badgers and Jam Pod. You can also check out Boat Rock Podcasts on Instagram. Uh, but more importantly, it would really mean the world to me if you could rate this podcast five stars or whatever, you know. Uh, hey, anything helps. If you could like us, share us, interact with us, this a review, I will give you my undying gratitude. Um, you're amazing. Thanks for listening. on a lark and peeing in the park. You should follow me on Twitter. It's jokes to Carl. That's the duh of Francais, not the duh of dumbass. But never mind that. Don't follow me now. Follow me later. I mean, for right now. W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. Let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman and Carl. Hi, Carl. Welcome to the ah, Thank you, ah. Mike. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. One hour or so. We are bursting with energy. We're broadcasting right now. First, as always, on MutinyRadio.fm. It is the your internet streaming radio pal, direct from the heart of the mission, in san francisco we are on there first every sunday at 2 p.m pacific standard time we are part of a delightful afternoon we follow found round sound with scotto and then we're right before ugly sunday so tune in go type in mutinyradio.fm hit play now and listen to us every sunday 2 p.m pst hi carl we are also a podcast by our acronym it's l-w-a-f-l-m-o-y-y-t YT is YouTube. Type that into your podcast dumb. app. Dumb. The whole name's dumb. Dumb, 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 dumb. And we are, of course, on YouTube where you can see Carl and me right now talking. I am, of course, wearing my Mutiny Radio shirt, uh, as always. And we are going to watch a full-length movie on YouTube. If you're watching it on YouTube, you don't have to – basically, you'll listen to us, find the YouTube uh, movie on YouTube, listen, watch the movie – sound off and listen to us and if that's a big headache just go subscribe to our youtube channel where carl syncs up the movies and that's l w a f l m o y t good to see you man what movie are we watching today today we will watch the lathe of heaven 1980 the lathe of heaven everyone knows lathe is l-a-t-h-e it's la the which is french for the and american for <laughs> english for the it's not the, confusing at all the Lace of Heaven, 1980. The channel we like is weird name. The end. It ends in doll, like roll doll. K L I L J E doll. 
Kalilji Doll. Kalilji Doll is hosting our movie. If you see something that sounds like that, you are yeah. in the right place. Yeah. Type in Lathe of he Heaven. Lathe is a mechanical tool. I just looked that up. It is L A T H E, Lathe of Heaven. Find the link. 1980. 1980. This is pretty uh, so we're going to watch this movie, so we want you to watch it with us. You find the link, Lathe of Heaven, 1980, from Khalil and then you find it, you click it, you hit pause, move it back to zero, zero. This might take you a couple minutes, but yeah, we have Mike, good that's news. that's a lot to digest, right? Oh, it's no, going to take a while to look up Lathe with T-H-E. Hang on, I'm going to give you a machine for shaping wood, metal, or other material by means of a rotating drive, which turns the piece being worked on against changeable cutting tools. I have lathe metal in a machine shop. There, I use it as a verb. So, so I know exactly what they're talking about. It spins and like you make the the beds, posts, you know, as it goes around. You yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And I know heaven, right? That's where I, I'm going when I die. Oh, great, yeah, great. No, I, I got tickets and everything. I got round trip tickets, is that wrong? All right, let's, uh, <laughs> All right, so go ahead, hit the link. We are going to say go, and you're going to hit play with us. But we have a special comedian, a celebrity yeah. comedian, right. that's going to do our countdown. So take your time, find the movie, hit the link, wait. Carl has a celebrity comedian. We're going to learn a little bit about the celebrity comedian, and they are going to do the celebrity comedian countdown. Carl, take it away. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Celebrity Comedian Countdown, this time with Doug Carf. Welcome, Hello, Doug. Hello, Carf. How are you? All right, great. Now, you are an extraordinary comedian, okay? Oh, I don't know about that, but thank you. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> I've seen you, maybe I've seen you even 10 times, 12 times. It always, I'm, I'm bumping into you at the Comedy Cove. It's a, it's a haunt of yours, you yes. know? But I hear you started comedy kind of late. You were in your 30s. It was the early 2000s. You had this like bringer show at the comedy cellar. That's what sucked you into comedy. You didn't even want to do it. Tell us about this story. Yeah, I started in my early 30s. Um, I had no interest in doing stand-up whatsoever. Um, a very close friend of mine at the time thought that I was, you know, just the funniest thing walking and I, I didn't feel that way about myself. I was just the guy with all my buddies that made everybody laugh. Um, but uh, he pushed and pushed and pushed. And he he said, you know, you have to do stand-up. I think you're so... And there was a couple other people as well. And uh -huh. I it, he signed me up for an amateur night um, at the Comedy Cellar in Greenwich Village. Um, I was absolutely terrified. Um, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Uh I, I, I really felt like I was being brought to my execution, to be honest with you. <laughs> and, um, but I, you know, I spent a couple of weeks working on some horrifically bad material. Um, mm -hmm. And I had to memorize it, obviously, verbatim, because I knew I'd be so nervous, so scared. Um, but I put together seven minutes, and uh, I got to the club that night. I'll never forget. And I swear to you, I always tell people, if there was a room with a Bengal tiger and or the stage, and I had a choice of going into one of them, I would have gone in the room with the Bengal tiger. I thought it was terrifying. <laughs> um, but, you know, I got up because there were people that came to see me, and I felt, you know, some obligation to them. They drove to the city. And of course. And they made that, yeah, they made that, <clears throat> excuse me, um, they made that sacrifice, and I, I said, you know what, I can't let my family and friends down. 
I got up, I did the seven minutes and, you know, people laughed and it, it wasn't, you know, incredible. It was very uh, raw and very underdeveloped. I didn't know what I was doing really, but I remember that it felt good. And I said, wow, you know what? I think I'd like to do that again. Um, and the rest is history. I mean, I just, I start, I did a few more shows there and then I started to get into the circle of comedians, um, you know, the amateur comedian circle. Excuse me, I apologize for the hoarse voice. Um, I got into the circle of amateur comedians. I started finding some rooms in Jersey, closer to where I live. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I started traveling around and, and learning the craft, you know, and I, I got up on stage as much as humanly possible. I used to seek out the toughest rooms as I could, you know, because I felt like the more I challenged myself, the better I would get. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, after doing it for a little while, I started to get some, you know, quote unquote job offers, you know, yeah. people would pay me, you know, five, ten dollars, twenty dollars to host a show, you know, gas money, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, but it was cool. And at the time I had a good job. I was making decent money. Um, so but for me to be paid even a dollar to do something I love to do, because I fell in love with it very quickly. Um, it was it was a dream because I had never been paid to do anything I loved. I thought it was like a fantasy, you know, and um, I slowly but surely kind of moved up the ranks. I got some better opportunities and eventually people started featuring me. And you now here I am now today and, you know, doing headlining spots and, and it's, it's, it's a tough road. You know, I always tell people you got to treat it like a job. You got to treat it like a profession. You got to put your nose to the grindstone. You have to be reliable. You got to put in the work and you have to have fun. That's the most important thing. Yeah, you have to have fun. That is the most important thing. Do you think that if you bombed the first time ever, if you didn't get those laughs, you wouldn't have been inspired to go on? Um, that's a good question. I've never really thought about that. Um, I don't know. I, I think if I did horrifically bad, it yeah. may have deterred me a little bit. Um, I, I It's not like I got a lot of laughs. I got a few laughs and people were smiling and I got some laughs here and there. Um, I don't know how I would have ran. I'm, I'm kind of a stubborn person. So yeah. there's a good chance that, you know, I probably would have got a little mad and said, you know what, I'm going to do this again. I, you know, I'm not going to go out on that note. So I probably would have tried it once or twice more. Um, mm -hmm. Just so that wasn't my lasting memory of it. Um, but I really don't know. I mean, I never, I never really thought too much about that. It was, luckily, uh, I did okay. But remember too, those amateur type bringer shows, you know, when you're starting out, the audiences are friendly. Yeah, absolutely. Support, you know, newer comics. They're not, they're not people that are like, you know, now you're working in a pro club. People are paying good money. So the expectation is, you know, they're going to be entertained. They paid their money. It's like anything else. You know, they, they want their money's worth. When you're doing some of those types of shows, luckily the people in the audience understand that everybody's kind of starting out. So they're a little more, um, what can I say? They're a little more understanding, um, uh, yeah. and a little more forgiving is the word I'm looking for. So, it, it, but it was good. And, you know, I tell, you know, the newer comics all the time, you just got to get up as much as you can. And you can't worry about the reaction necessarily. No one, I always tell people, no one remembers how Derek Jeter did in Little League. You know, 
No one cares. It's irrelevant. Um, you can't miss any runs on the ladder. You have to put in the work. And frankly, I always tell women and men that are getting into this, find the toughest rooms, find the tough spots, mm -hmm. go to places where people are least likely to be receptive and it'll make you stronger. And that's, that, that was, that was something that I did and I'm glad I did it. A lot of comics are looking for the feel good spots in the beginning. Yeah, that's yeah. A mistake. It's a mistake. Yeah, and I think some comedian told you that once when you, he said, how's it going, your comedy or whatever? You said, it's doing great. I've just been doing it a few months and, and, and I'm having good laughs and good reactions. And he said, oh, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, he told me, he said, he said, it's, it's better if you have your, you know, your worst, um, your worst situations very yeah. early on. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, it's going to hurt more. <laughs> when you, when you <laughs> fall on your face. So that's right. probably true. Now, I see a lot of comedians coming <clears throat> through that comedy cove, and you are very unique yeah. in one distinction, and that is, I don't want to even call it crowd work. That's being with the crowd, connecting with the crowd, and understanding everyone who's in the room. Uh, more than half of your time that you do on that stage, I know you've got all the material to fill that time too, but more than half of your time is working with the crowd. So my question to you about it, because I've seen you like 10 times, it's obvious that you have a lot of experience with that because you handle it so well. Tell me about the times when you were learning that, doing crowd work and making mistakes, pissing a guy off, getting a reaction. That must have honed you to do it so well today. Oh, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, in the beginning, material is a lot more important because you're scared, you're nervous, and you can't really think clearly. You know, you can't. You know, you can't really think on your feet. It's tough to be like stream of consciousness. You know, I, mm -hmm. I always enjoyed playing with the crowd. That was kind of something that I found very fun and enjoyable myself. So I was lucky. Um, you have to have the material. Um, but I think it's just it's just practice and time. And, you know, the more you relax on stage, the more clearly you can think. I was always kind of a wise guy, you know, with my friends and mm -hmm. school and you know, to the to the dismay of my uh, my teachers, <laughs> my, my, father, my father really wasn't happy that I was a natural comedian. You know that that didn't bode well, and it certainly didn't help my GPA at all. Um, but uh, I think for me, the crowd work part is kind of my natural thing that I love. And as I as I progressed and got more relaxed on stage, I think you kind of you know morph into what you are. You know, mm -hmm. it's no different than an athlete or anything else. You know, you start out learning the basics. You get that framework of the basic fundamentals. And then you kind of, as you relax, you kind of develop and you become, you develop your own uniqueness. And I just enjoy the crowd work because it's fresh. It's new every night. Yes. You know, sometimes comedians are doing the same material over and over and it can get boring and dry for yes. that. Yeah. And I think the audience likes it too. They enjoy the interaction. Okay, now, Doug Karf, everyone at home That's is me. ready to, it is you, and it's yeah. not a PH, right? It's a PF. It's a PF. The P is silent because we don't like to get spit on when people are telling us our name, right? <laughs> Listen, yeah. since the P is silent, why don't you just make it PF, PH, PH? That's the same thing as PF. Uh, I'm not messing with thousand year, thousands of years of my yeah. ancestry. Yeah, I don't need right. more bad karma. <laughs> okay, now, 
Doug Karpf with a PF. Right. Everyone at home is poised to watch this film at the same time as we do here in the studio. So everyone at home must press play on their device at the same time we do here in the studio. So why don't you go ahead, Doug, go ahead, Doug Karf, and give us that celebrity comedian countdown. Three, two, one, go. Thank you, celebrity comedian countdown. Very informative. I look forward to listening to it. And now I don't know what the fuck I'm watching, but I'm really mm -hmm. into it. Is this like a movie production title card? Yes. No, no. We are looking at a. I don't know. I don't know. What are we it's looking at? It's supposed to let you know, like this movie is sort of cosmic in a way. It's larger oh, than some. You're called Machine Tool of Heaven, and you're gonna let me know you're cosmic. <laughs> well, the lathe shapes the wood. You see, uh -huh. and this guy shapes reality with his dreams. Oh, you know what? Can I get a refund? I'm done. <laughs> Wait, is he like, oh, I love her, but she will never talk to me. And then he meets her in her dreams? No, that would be National Lampoon's Lathe of Heaven. Right. I of course, which we're writing. Which we're currently working Right. No, this was a PBS film, and this was a big deal. It was, called, it was a project called TV Lab. It's like PBS's first made-for-TV movie ever. Wow. Um, it was done in New York, even though it was funded out of Boston. You know how PBS Oops. is all about Boston. Oops, yep. I dropped the bomb. Nuclear explosion. Ah, don't look, don't look directly into it, Carl. That'll mush your room. Isn't that funny? Like, the explosion will mush your room. It's a mushroom. It's a, oh, right. It does mush your room. Okay, now here comes George. And George is fucked up from a nuclear explosion. Is he the last man alive? Kind of thing. Yeah. He's <laughs> not. He's not. There's a population that will live on after the devastation. But it's going to get interrupted by a dream. Cool. Oh, stop sign. You should really, George, respect the sign. That, that's a, see, this is when society breaks down, when you have a nuclear war. People don't even stop at the stop sign. Man, you used to see Carl when he has a camera. He's like, do you see this abandoned building? Boom, we're making a post-apocalyptic movie. I want you to yeah. crawl on the ground. You up. I'm picking you up. At, as soon as you get back from Brandeis, I'm picking you up. And we're going to go. Now, is this based on a science fiction novel by Ursula yeah. Le Guin? There's a woman named Ursula Le Guin, and she was a big deal. Now, big she deal. doesn't like being called science fiction. She just wants to be an American novelist because... You know, but come on, if you do science fiction stories, right? You're going to be. Oh, yeah. You have devoted fans of American fiction. Bullshit. You have science look fiction fans. Look who's waking up. Okay. Twink. Wasn't the twink just in the devastation of the aftermath of a nuclear explosion? The twink was. So what's he doing here in this nice room with everything intact? He didn't get a mushed room. I like Kevin Conway. Oh, yeah, good. right. His room's not mushed. It's it's a wide room. Kevin Conway will be our evil doctor. Was he the guy in MASH? Uh, no, in no. Taxi? No, no. Uh, he played multiple characters in The Fun House. You know that horror film. You like that horror film. I do like that horror film. He was in Funny Farm with Chevy Chase. Whoop-de-doo. Oh, I have to rewatch that. That's Michael Ritchie. Director. Invincible, the football drama in 2000. Direct on the American novel by Ursula K. Le, Le Guin. 
Ursula Le Guin. You might know him in Slaughterhouse-Five. He was um, Ronald Weary, 1972, Slaughterhouse-Five. What a weird Five. movie. I saw that film. Yeah. Yeah. The protagonist was kind of Look at that guy's name. It's Barzak. <laughs> That's right. There's two directors, and they were like, yeah, it's Barzik. The Y is like an E sound. I want my last name to have Z Y X. Yeah, well, yeah. it'd be Spiegelman instead of I E. It would be a Y. It would be X Y Spiegelman. Yeah, right. Exagelman. So he has woken up into a normal world after this nuclear bomb hit. Uh, it does York. rain a lot. Oh, it's the Portland. Okay, that makes well, sense. It rains in Portland, especially in the future. <laughs> now, this film, this book was set in Portland, and the film was going to be in Portland. But the thing is, Dallas had all these, like, very futuristic buildings. So they switched it to Dallas. That's true. Give it up for Dallas architecture. Now, look, look he's some sort of poke-apocalyptic blue-collar worker kind of guy. And here's his, like, manager. Where are you going? See, he abused drugs, so he has to go to counseling. But the drugs he abused were drugs that prevent you from dreaming. It's fucking weird. So he's going to like a dream shrink. Dream shrink. Oh, cool. The dream corp. Yeah, dream yeah, corp. You oh, you got to take the future bus. It's an American bus. It's not a science fiction bus. Right. This is the future bus and future train station. I watched the PBS special. Like PBS for me reminds me of modern television because you would shoot it on video and it would look weird, right? Like this is a very blurry yep. copy we have. I saw a Raul Julia movie that he did for PBS and it was a science fiction movie. And it looked like I was actually looking at him in the room because it was so grainy yeah. and like distinct. Yeah. Like, if you ever watch a modern television set that's on 4K and yes. it looks like you're looking at Adam Sandler. Like he's right there in but the room. Much higher quality, but yeah. yeah. You still got the feeling back then on PBS, like watching Shakespeare or something, that you were in the room with them. Right, you and were in the audience. Cheap. It looked cheap, remember? It did look cheap, yeah. But it also looked immediate. Like, it really did, like, yes. Rod Julio was right there. And I've yeah. seen, I really do prefer watching movies the way they were shot, like, the, the way the cinematographer and the, the, everyone involved tried to make a movie look purposely grainy or purposely colored or blend. Because if not... I'm watching it on a 4K t TV or whatever. Right. And it, and it looks like a PBS science fiction movie from the 80s shot on video. Yeah. Now, this, what we're watching, is not the original. It's like a restored. The original was lost. Gotcha. Uh, it's a digital master created from the two surviving tapes, was color corrected using state-of-the-art technology, ghosting mm. and darkness of many of the images appear in some scenes. It's the best quality transfer possible to this important work with the only surviving materials. Now, here's Dr. Bad Guy. It's Dr. Haber. Man, he looks pretty shabby for a doctor, man. Yep. Now, like, right now, he's... Wear a belt. He's wearing his, like, bathrobe. Well, they're doing that for 1970s psychologist tropes. You know, that it was a psychiatrist, psychologist. They would wear those feel-good uh, sweaters. Don't you remember in the yeah, 70s? Patch on the elbow. Yes. Like when he put on his professor coat, it would be patched. Okay. So right now he's fine. Right now 
he, this guy, he thinks somebody's coming to me again because they have bad dreams. Well, I got some whammy jammy equipment nice. and I can fix that. Now, we just saw a picture of Mount Hood. Did you notice the picture of Mount Hood? That's from, from, from is he sure it's not Mount Shasta? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Look at me dropping Northwestern mountain names. So just know that it is not a picture of a horse or anything. It's clearly Mount Hood. Okay. Mount Hood. Okay. I will remember that for the third act <laughs> when he's climbing Mount Hood. <laughs> so um, it'll come up a lot quicker than that. So right now we're just getting that. Hey, come on, pal. I'm I'm your shrink. You can open up to me. Let's let's be buddies. But I'm he's doing it with a sort of pompous attitude, like you're in your you know your health is in my best interest too, George. You know that kind of like the future George is not buying it, right? Like he's just not. No, he George. is. He's yeah. just he's got something to tell the doctor that the doctor's not going to believe. Whatever he dreams comes true. Of well, course, the doctor. What? He just dreamt about war. Right. He dreamed. Uh, no, he was in a nuclear explosion. It's a little unclear in the story, Ursula Le Guin. He was, he's going to tell a story about when he first dreamed, and it must have been before the nuclear war. So, but the nuclear war sort of starts his powers, you see. It's, it's, it's a little mixed up in the plot. Gotcha. I'm actually looking forward to this movie. I, I've always heard of the author, and I just I never read her, any of her stuff. Or yeah, any, she was she, a big deal. Um, yeah. She was a successful person. Let's see. She died in 2018. So, wow, that's pretty good. recent. No, that's good. Yeah, but she missed the pandemic. Woof! That was close. But she was around for 9-11. Yes. Now look at the bubbles, right? Right. This is like it's a technology that's not explained. He can make you rapidly go through your sleep stages. So poof, you're in REM. You're in your rapid eye movement dreaming state. Green go the gushes. Where yeah, there it is? is. There it is. Why can't you say green grow the rushes? Why can't you say it? Green grow the rushes. Because it doesn't make any sense. Green people don't talk like green. that. You name no, a title after it. Not only it do people say that, old. they named a fucking movie after that. God. No, it's an old folk song. Like people would talk like that in like 1810. You know, it's an like, old folk song. I don't like it. I don't like it either. The rushes grow green is how we would say it. And a rush is like weeds, right? Yeah. Well, it's okay. a swamp weed. Swamp weed. All right, yeah. I got you. Okay. So he's now. he's in REM sleep. He's dreaming about Michael Stipe. He said, well, right now he's not actually sleeping. He's saying, tell me about the first time this effective dream of yours happened. So he's remembering when his aunt came to live with them for a short time because she, I don't know, down on her luck, some bullshit. She's always coming on to him. Now, Carl Haupt is 14 years old, sitting on the couch, watching PBS. There's Tell nothing me. in his world called pornography. No. The best he has is the Sears catalog, the bra section. Because they're photos, you know. Check it out. They are photos, technically. Yeah. So now he's watching this movie, The Lathe of Heaven. That guy's face I know, and I couldn't find it in the research. No worries. He's, he's watching the Lathe of Heaven, and here it is. This is this. This gave me a boner, 
and I I I wow. it for months. Watch, keep watching. Yeah, watching. first of all, it's popping out, right? That's number. It's a little chilly in there. That's well, okay. That's I hear one. you. Now and watch. Whoa! It's smack. Now remember, I'm 14, living in a world without sexuality. You see something a little sexual, and you go, "Wow!" Was that a relative or like yes. a family friend? Yeah, she was always coming on to him as a joke. And he, one time when they were alone, thought maybe she's not joking. And he tried and he got smacked. So now he goes and dreams of her exploding in a car crash. Patty. Guess what happens in the morning? She never lived with them. She still lived in, what I think it was Houston or something. Look, he's, she's getting a letter. Your sister has died. Oh, my God. So he wakes up and like she... They never had the family never had the experience with her hanging out. That's right. He never had that embarrassing thing. He dreamed her to die in a car crash. And he's telling the future therapist this. Now you might know his face from Willard. Look behind him. It's Mount Hood. You see Mount Hood? It's Mount Shasta. Listen, as someone from as a Portlandian. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, you're an Oregian? Oh no, actually, isn't that Seattle? Shasta? Oh no. Good water, man. I recommend their bottled water. Mount Rainier. Mount Rainier is Seattle. Yeah, that's close too. It's near. It's it's so Rainier. Seattle. Future Doc. Okay, I think you're a little future it, crazy. Yeah, so he's going, you see, doctor, I killed her. I killed her. And he's like, <laughs> there's a difference between dreams and reality, George. I'm sure you understand that. You know, he's not getting it. So the doctor thinks he dreamt that he spent weeks and weeks with his with his aunt. Uh, yeah, aunt. aunt. No, no, no. The he told the story of his first effective dream. He killed the aunt, and then he got all stressed out and you know manic about it. And then doctors like, "Calm down, George. It's just a dream. I I didn't mean to kill her." He thinks he's crazy. Right. Phew. Here, do that look. <sighs> My time. I got to quit better help. This better help gig sucks. <laughs> oh, casino? No, this is the future. Like, we've talked it's about this. It's like a bureaucracy. I mean, just like, yeah, it's the future. But like in the 1970s, they had bureaucracy. They had things on paper. So right. just like last episode, the 1930s carried into the future. This is, right, a, little, this is a little funny. Let's turn it up. Okay, hang on says here you've begun voluntary treatment with a Dr. William Haber, correct? Yes. Now, he was in Willard in the Rats. This guy, our hero. I know, I know that movie. Here's my 1970s paperwork in the future. Like, if it was today's movie, we'd like, let me see your float screen. But don't abuse it. There's, like, file cabinets behind them. Yeah. Card catalogs and Dewey decimals and look at that—they got files. All right, inboxes. so you turned it off. Not my jurisdiction. Next. Ah, okay, never mind. Sorry. Well, I have trouble with these dreams, and he goes, "Not in my jurisdiction," and shuts them down. <laughs> Bureaucracy for you. Okay, so now we have the dream meter and all the it's... modern '70s dream stuff. So oh, I believe it's the dream machine. That's we live inside of my, my head. head. 
the dream machine, they come to me in my bed. The dream <laughs> machine. machine. Uh, <laughs> oh, arrest me. oh no. Oh no. Remember, uh, you ever see Nightmare on Elm Street? And the yes. mom turns to the doctor and she, she's smoking a cigarette. She says, Doc, what are these dreams? Right? What are dreams? Yes. It was a great moment. <laughs> now look behind his head. Is it Mount Hood? Yes. Okay. He's wearing it as a hood. Interesting. Mountaintop. They can't even like Paramount. We tried oh, this. No, uh, we tried pitching this movie to Paramount Pictures. They said no. Best we could do is a photo of Mount Hood in the background. <laughs> and PBS. So now he's going to use that dream whammy jammy on him in which he goes through all of his phases. Here, sign this. You won't sue me when you go crazy for him. How many times does he sign it? Once and here and here. Right? The bureaucracy bag. <laughs> Here. Initial here. Now, the thing why this technology doesn't make sense is it's like sort of just like, is it going into his brain electrically? You know, I, I don't get it. Ooh, look at that PBS uh, graphic. Yeah. Like, I they were... had, uh, TV Lab was funded with $750,000 only and two hundred and fifty, which was considered a lot by them, went into this, which was considered the pilot. Now, they didn't just pick Ursula Le Guin. I mean, they really searched for an author. Sure. Uh, they considered Arthur Clarke, Frank Hubert, Kurt, Herbert, Kurt Vonnegut mm. Jr., uh, Burgess, and Robert Heinlein. They went with her. and um, Oh, it's just cool because she's written a lot, you know, and, like, uh, I, I'm into it. Well, she did Earthsea, which was, like, some sort of series of books, she did The Left Hand of Darkness. That was a big deal. Huh. And then it talks about The Dispossessed. I don't know that book. Um, yeah. She she made over 20 novels, 100 short stories. She did a little bit of poetry. She did literary criticism. That sounds like an old lady. And uh, she did children's books, and she did translations. That's what it sounds like. I need a little money. No, no. It sounds like she has, like, Isaac Asimov. She's just a genius, and she can't stop. You know, like she just yeah, has she's constantly. Berkeley. Yeah, that's that all cool. Yeah. A lot yeah, of her I, stuff is um, anthropology, and her dad was an anthropologist. I don't know. Oh. Was that, you know, she was interested in her work was influenced by cultural anthropology, Taoism, feminism, and the writings of Carl Jung. Pretty heavy, man. Yeah, dude. And we're watching yeah. a movie about dreams. Right. Now he's putting a whammy jammy on him and he's going to tell him what to dream about. Dream about a horse. Dream about a horse. He wakes up. It's like that horse never existed. By the way, I got a letter from the horse's manager. He caught on fire. <laughs> <laughs> well, oscillator, oscillator, oscillator. Bottom. Call him on the phone. Call him on the phone. I can't. He's he's horse right now. <laughs> He can't talk on the phone. He can do you television. shrank him. He's a little horse. You are beginning to dream now, George. REM patterns are normal. Unusually. Something unusual. Uh, Wait a minute. Call the PBS special effects team. We found <laughs> something. 
it's funny. They had to go with the special effects they could afford, not the ones that were good. Well, we get it. It's a story, and they, yeah. they don't have to be like super expensive special effects. Just tell the right. story. And, and I'm saying that as a viewer like me. Uh-huh. What does it mean? Well, I mean, like, PBS took my money and viewers like uh, you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, this is one of the directors, Barzik says, I would run the set and David Luxton would be behind the scenes. When we come to the actual physical structure of the set, we had equal import. Um, it was a limited budget. Moving to science fiction, and let's face it, some of Ursula's ideas were pretty big. How the hell do we possibly portray the attack of aliens or wiping out billions of people with the plague? Spoiler alert. Too late to alert you. Wait a minute, um, there's going to be a plague and an alien invasion? <laughs> what it came down to is oh. we had to find metaphors, things that didn't cost that much money, which have emotional impact. They, our special effects in the lathe were not done the way they were necessarily the direction we wanted to go, the direction we had to go. I hear you. Now, Ursula Le Guin was all over this film, advising and everything, and I'm sure she had something to say about the special effects, but... Yeah, she's like, where are they? <laughs> she didn't really write the script. It was written by one of the by a woman who would go on to make Murphy Brown. That would be her big claim to fame. Oh, well, and, I probably know that person too. It's I could see her the the title uh, card at the end. Of Diane the English. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So she created Murphy Brown. The other writer, he did Porky's. He did Breaking Point. Wow. Yeah. He wrote Porky's, huh? Yeah, 1981. So it's right around this time. So he's being deep and meaningful, and then he's writing fart jokes. All oh, right, right. And what was more now successful? Look, look at the picture. And where's Mount Hood? He goes, that's the triple crown winner so-and-so. That's Seabiscuits, George. It's always been there. No, it was Mount Hood. Carl, you, you brought it up 17 times. It was obvious. Oh, so he's like... Now, this is my fourth time watching this film. As I watch the doctor and listen to the way he talks, I don't think he knows the picture changed. Okay. Here, let me try it. Yeah, I remember it, don't you? George, that is Tammany Hall, the Triple Crown winner. <sighs> oh, my dreams. They make it reality. Now, remember when the aunt died, the family did not know she had ever lived with... Okay, so that's a... Another That's weird good... thing about the plot. Soon he's going to know. Soon he's... How could he know? I want to mention, like, speaking of uh, championship horse, I'm on the sea biscuit diet. Oh, you see a biscuit? And I eat you it. Eat it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sea biscuit. But this biscuit still has marks where the jockey slapped it. It's sea biscuit, you idiot. <laughs> I mean, like, what was wrong with America that, like, that was the most popular thing in the world? Sea <laughs> Biscuits, an American hero. Is he? Yeah. No, but Did... that's the movie made it seem that way. It was just. Oh, no, it was okay, big. He... Okay, you're right. I mean, it was just something in sports, you know? Like, right, what yeah, is yeah, this yeah. Olympics? Was everybody's into the Olympics? It wasn't but, a horse. It wasn't a horse. It was a human. Look at this future fan. Hey, there's my fans in the back. <laughs> <laughs> Your fans came out. Yeah. 
I'll get someone to put them back into your window, sir. Portman, Dallas. Dallas, Dallas. It does look like Dallas, you have to admit. Those and buildings we're going to look- see Dallas throughout. Some Fort Worth. Now, one of the internet sites, but it wasn't like a serious one, like IMDb or, you know, Wikipedia. It was some movie site, like three or four click, clicks of Google in, claimed right. that part of this was filmed in West Germany. I just don't, I don't think that's true. Why would they do that anyway? They could spend well, money doing something else. Of course. I love now, these half. We will see some stock footage of like rockets taking off and stuff. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. He goes, George, I'd like to see you use your dreams. Now, doesn't that strike you as a nice idea? So it's like, does he know that they're effective dreams? I mean, he got the, the psychiatrist got snookered because he now doesn't realize that Mount Hood wasn't there. You know what I mean? Like, <clears throat> look, he just knocked him out and put him to sleep in like a click. I don't know how he did that, and he'll never do it again in the film. Isn't that weird? Right. Yeah, they did that in Porky's as well. <laughs> oh, I can see the influence. Pee-wee. In Porky. Yeah. Angel Beach. Angel Beach, Florida. Sleep. Sleep, Pee Wee. Oh, I can't wait. He wakes up. Pee Wee wakes up with an erection. The funniest thing about that film was when he went on, Pee Wee went on his date, he wore his condom. It was on his dick the whole date. He wore his condom. The best joke's always in the beginning. He has an erection. He measures it. His mom walks in. Yeah, well, you remember this? Yeah. Yeah. Swing! That was hilarious, man. The rest of the movie, what have you. So he keeps saying Antwerp. That's their, like, code word to dream. Safe word. Okay. Um, Trigger word. You know, it's like he says Antwerp and, you know, like a hypnotist will make him squawk like a chicken every time he says Antwerp. That kind of thing. But that's a name, not a word. Right? It's a city. Right. right. They're just using it. Like I might say raspberries. You know, they're just using it as a... Okay, so he asked him to dream that this dreadful rain in Portland would go away. If it worked, the doctor would have never remembered there was rain. He would be in a world where there was never rain. Agree, Mike. So that's what's wrong with the film. You see... He goes out there and the rain goes away and the right. sun comes out. So everybody, Maybe yeah, yeah sorry, I don't get it. No, I just, you're, uh, you're with me already. I don't get it. Look they at must the sun. Need a green screen there. I think it's because the doctor is trying to manipulate it himself. Like he wasn't conscious of the horse taking over the reality, but he's trying to toy with this guy. So he's kind of conscious of what he's doing. Yep, you're right about that. But that's dangerous. That's a dangerous game to play, man. That's funny. That's what George is going to say. Yeah. Because he thinks he's in control, but he already whammy-jammy the doctor. But whatever George dreams, you're going to get. So you can right. suggest stuff to George. That doesn't mean he's going to dream it the way you said it. Okay, so now he goes back. He just left his patient unattended, right? So now he goes back and he's going to wake him up and he's going to pretend 
He's going to be like, it's always been Sonny George. You know, he's going to pretend he doesn't know. Oh, the doctor's going to pretend. Yes, the doctor's going to pretend. Doctor's going to get fucked. I hope the doctor gets fucked up. Yep, that's right. He says, it was an effective dream. I tell you that, they wear me out. Sure, man. That's like the pull in, in uh, Firestarter. Your eye starts to bleed. Zach Efron's eye starts bleeding. I was having a picnic on Mount Hood in the ra- in the rain with Genghis Khan, and oh, yeah. his umbrella leaked, and the sun came out. Oh, they have online weather back in '79. No, it's the phone. You know, oh, you hear the automated recording. Weather. What eight hundred W E A? Right. <laughs> <laughs> And you're there with the rotary phone trying to figure out what the W is. So you must have the subtitles on, right? Yeah, I'm rocking the subtitles, Carl. Because that's what she came in and said. I have the weather online for you, just like you asked, sir. He did ask in the hall. She's He's listening. He's like, temperature is 105 degrees. A lot of sun. Celsius. Fahrenheit. It can't be Celsius. It has to be bur- yeah, I think someone at PBS has another metric system. Yeah, because you would be yeah, – that'd be like – that's what you set the oven to. This is kind of cool. I like these these uh, future – it's, it's zero is freezing and 100 is boiling, right? right. So yeah, it's, so – Yeah, 105 Celsius. <laughs> so he's going – I liked it better when it was raining – and George overhears that and says, he knows, he knows. He, th- he knows that the doctor knows. So he's going back to confront him. Right. But the doctor won't let on that he knows. Oh, but he has to know the doctor did that. I would did trust what? the doctor. What? Fucking, you have to have trust between the doctor and you, right? Like the doctor can't, can't put you, turn you into a chicken and then make you lay a dozen eggs and not tell he you does- about it. He does not trust the doctor. Good. The doctor is making him squawk like a bird and lay eggs. Yeah. I have to say, PBS rocked during this time, right? You had the electric company. You had, like, full-on Sesame Street. You had Julia Child. Zoom had a was lot kicking of, ass. Yeah. Zoom. That's right. Zoom came out. Yeah. You had the news hour with both guys. Theater. Oh, Alistair Cook, man, every Sunday you'd be hooked to the PBS. It was relevant back then. It wasn't just hours of craft animal cartoons. and uh, No, I mean, we had 13 channels, and they were one of them. And they were like, they were damn, channel 13. not going to be a network. We had Channel 13 as the PBS channel. Funny you say we had 13 channels. Me too, yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we grew up the same place. Yeah, we're in a tri-state. NBC is four, CBS is two, ABC is... Seven. Seven. But you know, PIX I is? 11. Yeah. PIX 11. Is PIX still around, WPIX? Yes. And yes. they still do the 11? They still make it look like the World Trade Center? Uh, no. no uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't watch it. Uh, yeah. But I know that a French uh, curiosity shop was interviewed on PIX, and I saw it on YouTube, so I know they're alive. Okay, so he goes to this uh, lawyer. Uh, because it's all the part of the paperwork. He was abusing drugs, and they signed him with other therapist. He goes, I want a different therapist. And she's like, you got to show cause. You know, I can't just switch your therapist. 
Right. And it's like, he's, he's, he's using me like a guinea pig and she's just shutting him down, you know. But he's right. I agree with him. Look at that electric sharpener. Even in the future, they have pencil sharpeners. Well, they still had pencils in the future. It looks pretty cool. Now, she will actually become the third person in our film. She'll become uh, the third player. And it's a little awkward how she's not in the beginning because this isn't an act two person. Right. Um, you, I don't know if you'll. You, well, she did. She had a famous uh, performance in The Color Purple in '85. Shrug Avery, and she was nominated for Academy Award. For oh, Best terrific! Actress. Yeah, in a supporting role. Her name is Margaret Avery, but she's Heather in our story. I don't she think did I... a lot of work here, but I don't know if you'd know any of it. Well, I don't. All the serious Spielberg movies, I avoid. If there's an alien involved, I'm there. Okay. Like, nothing science fiction. I don't watch this movie. So I don't really. I don't find an alien in one of these titles. Okay. Yeah. I don't think I've seen it. All right. Well, how about there's one with a fish. Would you be interested in? Okay. She did The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh in 1970. I saw that movie. That's a great movie. All right. movies. Hey, so The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh is because they were all the same astrological sign, Pisces. Mm hmm. It was this, uh, I think the kid's name was James Brown Third, or I don't know. No, I'm making it up. But the, it was a kid who. You're saved, making it up. He saved his, his uh, the Philly sports team. God. Uh-huh. It's not a, literally a fish. It, okay, it's just the Pisces symbol. Okay, so here, uh, Cool Breeze in 1972. Which way is up in 77? Scott Joplin in 77. Uh, White Man's Burden in 95. Oh, I saw that. That's when James Travol- John Travolta, like it switched, like white people were the... Oh, I heard of that film. I never saw that. I got to go see that movie. Um, Welcome Home, Roscoe Jenkins, Meet the Browns in 2008, Proud Mary in 2018. Oh, I've seen Meet the Browns. Okay, 2008. And she was on uh, BET in Being Mary Jane for like four years oh is that a reality show lead character's mother drama. so she's been acting constantly yeah yeah i i see a gap from the she was active in the 70s and then there are gaps once in the 80s once in the 90s and then Well, she's still she has been in things consistently throughout all the decades, including ours right now. It looks like she played the mom in Fish that saved Fishburg, and the kid's name was James Bond the Third, the actor. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. You should see that movie. I, my brother and I love that film. Oh, but, okay. Uh, they do this stunt. It's you have to like it's VOD. You can't find it on YouTube. But if you have a chance to, I would go to your Netflix DVD service and see if they have the fish to save Pittsburgh. Okay. So noted. Look at Dallas, man. Dallas. Architecture is so normal. Modern. Is it modern? I don't know. Okay. So the, what his effective dream essentially gave the doctor his own dream institute. And look how he's dressed. Remember how he was dressed before? Sure. Yeah, right. We complained about it. Now he's in like a computer center. Look at him looking around, noticing himself. 
he's so weird. So they both are aware of the, the whammy jammy. Well, he's still pretending he is not aware of it, the doctor. That's so what a sleazy doctor. Here's the receptionist. Ooh, the actual <laughs> clipboard. Thank you, nurse. Usually I have a box of cereal that you put a piece of paper on it and I, I sign it that way. <laughs> clipboard. There's a uh, stuff in the background. Bloop, 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 bloop. <laughs> so he goes, put George down for an appointment at noon tomorrow. And he goes, no, 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 doc. We're done. We're done. We're done. You got your wing. We're out of here. I got a, I got a job. He goes, therapy is more important than your job. Wow. What a cool looking office he dreamt up. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Dr. Haber's loving it too. I mean. So like George protests, but he still does it. I don't know. I'm not going to do this anymore. Oh, I think not. We have a 12 o'clock appointment. Don't <laughs> sleep, by the way. Stay up all night. I'll see you at noon tomorrow. I like how you just sleep, dude. He knocks yeah. I guess he does the whammy jammy knockout, right? Right. He you go through stage one, stage two, stage three. Boom, you're in REM. Instant dreaming. Dreaming. Dreaming is real free. I think, I don't know how it goes. Uh, yeah, dreaming. Uh, you, I met you in a park. We're gonna have an Ursula Le Guin cameo, by the way. Cool, good. I want to see what she looks dreaming like. Dreaming is free. It's free. Free. Yeah, gotcha. Dreaming. What a bad song. You know, you should check out Sherman's Showcase on uh, Hulu. They okay. do a Deborah Harry Blodney parody that is so funny. <laughs> she sings a song about nightclub and how she's going to go out and get plowed like the winter snow. <laughs> now, I, I'm going to interrupt myself because we got a cameo. You're only going to see her for two seconds. Okay. She's going to be on the left. We're not there yet. You're going to see a long table in a cafeteria. Our heroes are sitting at the head of it, and she's going to be to the left. All right. I'm ready to pause it. No, Wait. no, 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 no. They're left. Oh, okay. there she is. Coffee not yet, cup. not yet. There, to the left. She's she. See the gray-haired lady to the left, all close to him. What a great cameo, man. Um. Okay. So, Le Guin, her husband, her fifteen-year-old son, and her husband's eighty-year-old aunt Ruby appear as extras in the scene where Heather and George talk over lunch in a cafeteria. All I saw was Ursula Le Guin, and all I really saw is her gray hair look like my mom. Seriously. She looked like the dust cover, like eating something. The the dust jacket. You you open up the book and there's a picture of Ursula. Yeah, she's written a hundred books. She wrote no, she wrote twenty, 20. over twenty. She wrote in the twenties. And then a hundred like, short stories. Short stories, yeah. Translated a few books, knocked out a cute couple anthologies, maybe a book about puzzles. Now <laughs> she did a book on quilting. Now, um, George has now said it was it's an experimental machine. And so the lawyer, um, Heather, is like, oh, experimental? Okay, that'll be your, uh, you know, you've got a case. I will go as an observer, and if there's something weird, I can get your switch to a different Thank you, Margaret Avery, for doing something, right? She's <laughs> got to get in there. Oh, she's, she's in there for out... 
She yeah. will now go to this appointment and be with us for the rest of the film. Good. Now Good. look, it's all like a nuclear. See, the results of the dreams change every single time they change. I'm a little behind. I don't know why those people still look like they were nuclear war survivors. None, they were protesting something. And they have moving staircases. This must be the new reality. <laughs> yeah. It it's escalated called, them up. Well, it elevates them. It's called, in their movie, it's called an elevator. It elevates <laughs> you higher a step at a time. But what's this escalator? Um, same thing. So... Okay, no, if, look, he's got this whammy-jammy machine that if you're upset, you'll get super upset. It's called an escalator. Oh, <laughs> uh, future. I mean, I, I really would love to see an original copy of this to see what it looks like if it was yeah. video-y with yeah. the light outside. Yeah. Now, he was like, fuck this place, I'm never coming back. And he's like, George, great to see you, and you're early. Right, right. So it's eleven forty-five. He lays down and says, "Come on, let's go. Let's dream. Come, Come on." on. Goes, Do you five. have an appointment or something? Rem me up. Yeah, let's go. Rem me up. He knows Heather's coming. Oh, cool. I have yeah. seen Willard. Have you from the seventies? And Ben, mm -hmm. I guess, is the sequel. I don't know if he was in Ben. I remember. No, it was Ben. ben. Ben was first, right? Because they had Michael Jackson yeah. as a kid singing this. I am you, you and me, we are us. Ben, I left you in, I don't know, a trap. I haven't seen that movie in a while. All right. I guess I'm going to see that movie again now that we're talking about it. About it. So uh, let's there's see. a remake with Crispin Glover. Oh, I think it was I like Willard. That. Willard was the first one. Had this guy, Bruce. Yeah. There was a sequel, Ben. And I think young Michael Jackson sang the theme song to the sequel to a rat movie. And then <laughs> there was a remake of Willard with Crispin Glover in the 2000s. That one I saw and I enjoyed. And I loved how Ben rebelled. You know, he was like, Ben, you <laughs> do what the fuck oh, maybe, I said. Maybe Ben's the first one and Willard's the sequel. There's, there was two rat movies with the different names of the rats. Okay, so all I know is Willard in 1971. I have heard of the sequel, Ben. I think Willard must be the first one. Okay. What a slimy name, and I think that was totally on purpose. You know, Willard. It's like Willie gives you the willies, you know? Oh, right. Well, you know, sometimes you see a movie and the movie does the title is always the name of the character. And you're like, I don't know who Larry Crown is. Why should I give a rat's ass? Yeah. Like, whoa, they made a movie about Tammy out of my way. So when you find <laughs> right. out Willard is a rat, you're like, oh, cool. <laughs> no, Willard is his name. His name is. Oh, it's a boy's name. Oh, wait. Yes. So... And his rat's name is Ben. Right. Uh, Willard Stiles is his name in the film. Yeah, and Ben was the an, uh, prota uh, antagonist rat. So I guess Ben was the sequel then. Yeah, that sounds right. Okay, so now he's talked all about what the whammy jammy machine does, and she's ready to observe. And Look at these few space-age buttons. Yeah, they're so modern. This, If this was, I mean... You know, they're so modern that I, my kids no grew clue. up with those. <laughs> yeah. It's so I futuristic. No clue, I have no clue what the symbols mean or why they, you need it. 
He's ready to accept a suggestive dream. Now, not effective, suggestive. With her, with his attorney right behind him. Now, he says, last time you were here, you were telling me about something that bothered you very much, overpopulation. That's not true. That comes out of the doctor. I want you to dream of a world without overpopulation, is what he's doing. That's genocide. He's worse than Thanos, Carl. Well, not worse. Equal? He is Thanos. Yeah. When I say Antwerp... I told you I got to ask for a refund after I saw the movie Avengers Endgame. Yeah, I that's right. But it doesn't work. The joke doesn't work. Because right. you're not in a movie. You're not in a movie. Nobody would expect that. I, all right. Thank you, audience member, for explaining why that joke never worked. <laughs> <laughs> you should say something like, um, I was so upset that, like, you know, I took my wife to see. I was hoping when Thanos snapped his finger, I'd only have the one ticket charge. There, there you go. I had Something a 50% like chance. Usually you fix my jokes. Okay, now, due to budget, they couldn't show billions of people dying in a plague. So they did this metaphor. They have him dreaming of dining at a table. There's Dr. Haber. And right. it seems like he's in the dream, but he's not. Of course, you know, George must be dreaming him. But, but throughout the drama, throughout the scene, he acts like, the Dr. Haber we know. So look, these people are going to start to get old and die. Oh. I thought they just threw like fishnets over him. Yeah, look, the doctor's right. picking up on it. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like he's dreaming the doctor, so. They're in the room and they're, he's definitely the doctor's kind of pushing this along. It's yes. Just, yeah. We can't afford millions of people dying or slow. We, the best PBS can do is throw a fish net over people over dinner. <laughs> now, these guys, I, you know, they were trying hard. They were yeah. trying hard, you know. And they did this 1972 film together called Between Time and Timbuktu. And it was based on oh. a Vonnegut book. One guy's from Canada. One guy's from New York. Um, ABC After School Specials. This was their golden time in which they got to work on TV Lab for PBS and make cool films like this. This is a cool film. I mean, you don't really expect a TV movie to have this. Uh, yeah, flow. this is like a, you know, a film that would premiere. Ah, no, I killed people. Ah, the Whoa. translation would say incoherent mumbling. Oh, Dallas. <laughs> the sound ah, of the no Where's half the population, you bastard? They're okay, right? Well, that's the thing. They both know that it happened. Okay? Now, it used to be before... You didn't know. So if you're right. in the same room with the guy, you do know. There's a little hole in Le Guin's plot here. I don't know. It adds a little nuance to it because they're culpable. And I, again, the dreamer has the upper hand because dreamer could pull shit while whammy jammy on them and they won't be aware of it. You know, you can't tame the devil, Carl. Well, okay. I understand why you say that. And I think you're right. If you could control your dreams. George can't really, he just, 
okay, overpopulation. So in his brain, he thinks, well, a plague would take care of that. You know, he didn't do it on purpose. And he's upset with himself now. What have I done? Yeah, because he asked him to dream something horrific. Well, he didn't. He said overpopulation, right? If less people were having babies, I mean, it didn't have to be. You killed them. Uh, Obviously, it was saying, like, kill them. Well, what if you dreamed that um, people were infertile? Or what if you dreamed that you had to have a license to have a baby and you had to get Maybe a license to have a baby? Because at least that's not... A dream! It's a dream! You know, there's ways not to kill everyone and fight overpopulation. This is more the result than the process, I guess. Yes, the result is... Don't have an overpopulation. Now, George is pit. Uh, Dr. Haber is pissed. You sick bastard. You should go to therapy. The plague ended five years ago. We are the survivors. Life must go on. You remember the plague, don't you? Look at Heather. She's emotionally distraught. Does she remember the plague? No. I guess she does. But does she remember the world without the plague? Yes, it seems. Why else would she be freaked out? Yeah. Otherwise, they'd be like, good morning, George. The plague? The plague's over. It's good times, you know? Crazy. Well, put him back to sleep. Dream that you had dinner with more guests. Wake up. I'm sorry if you found this distressing, Miss Lalash. Goodbye. See you in court. (laughs) See you in court. So they're all like shell shocked. Yeah, but who would have thought? I'm acting. Mulligan. Hey, you know the last time? We did it this time, didn't we? Oh, yeah. Wait, Mulligan is like do over or something? Yeah, right. Yeah, Yeah. when you're playing golf and you hit it like (laughs) the Mulligan. Six million people wiped off the face of the earth. What do you want me to say? I want you to be straight with me. You know. Go home, George. Take responsibility for what you did. What I did! Do they have to go back in time like in uh, Avengers' other movie? No. (laughs) (laughs) There's two Avengers movies, right? There's Infinite War and, and other movie. Infinite War. Another movie, right. Yeah. The Marvel Cinematic (laughs) Universe presents Avengers, the other movie. We now resume where we last left off. Oh, I can't believe that happened. Damn it. What did it happen? What if we made it happen again? Tony Stark won't go for that. Tony Stark, no. He doesn't want to lose his daughter. Very selfish, actually. Well, don't forget, he created Ultron and, and wrecked the yep. shit up. So yep. he is very selfish. It was, it wasn't on purpose, but he did make Ultron happen. Yeah. What are they going to do now? Docs have any ideas? They got to go back to Dreamland, right? Well, no, but there will be another dream in which the doctor's like, "You got to go back in Dreamland," and 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 he won't. George won't do it. 
So he's like, I'm attempting to make the world a better place and my dreams have destroyed the world at the same time. Is it really a better place? It's like supposed to be deep and maybe we should be listening. Sure. Four years ago, April. Okay, four years ago, April, that was that nuclear bomb. Remember? You're worn out, George. You better go home and get some rest. The session's over. You go home. George. <laughs> now, I don't get George like why. I mean, he is a beta personality, but. I see what you're saying. He tries to be alpha and he accuses him of stuff, but he always gets shut down with things like, go home now. That's what shuts you down. What, you know? what other choice does he have? He's going to force the doctor to go back into dreamscape and, and resolve everything? Well, at this point, I was wondering why they didn't try to undo it. Yeah immediately right because that and then that will happen later i'm acting i'm acting <laughs> okay pbs for my character's sake i want to look out at the barren landscape uh how about if you just look out the window and so see. Like, there was this april nuclear explosion and somehow that's always floating out there in the ether and at right, the end right. of the film like the doctor will see it with his own eyes. Like, it's unclear. Do people remember that it happened or it never happened because he dreamed it away? But then at the end of the film, he'll reveal that that's when it starts. Meanwhile, he told that story about the aunt, which was before the nuclear explosion. I don't get how this plot all goes together. But the nuclear seen this multiple times. This is my fourth time, yeah. and that's why I know there's holes in the plot more than I figured out what they were at, as a reviewing. I'm sure the novel goes into real, you know, yeah. real depth. It must. And um, the screenwriters, they let's tried. see. They did. They now, were the like... Writers, here are the writers. Um Diane English, we already talked about a little bit. Best known for creating Murphy Brown. Uh, and a 2000, she directed in 2008 a feature called The Woman. Uh, oh, I saw that movie. It's a, it's a remake of the movie The Women, which was this screwball comedy that had a whole female cast. And her oh. version was good. It was fun. Okay, maybe I'll also write that one down. Should I see that one? If you see the original, you're going to like it. Like the one from okay, the 30s. The original. Yeah, and then, you know, call if you want to see a remake. It's not bad. Okay, not 2008. She started her career at WNET PBS affiliate New York, working as a story editor uh, for the Theater America series, then an associate director of TV Lab, and she wrote a monthly column on television for Vogue uh, from 77 to 80, and she wrote this, and she got a Writers Guild nomin Award nomination. Okay, she didn't win. Uh, but she won Emmys for Murphy Brown. Right. Okay, now, this is a bit of a lull or a lag in the plot. They got rid of people. Heather wanders off. Uh, she can't call George. She doesn't know where he is. She wants to talk to him. Now we're having a confrontation. Why don't we listen this time? Assist. He's going to admit that he knows it's effective to him. I just wanted time to sort things out. Yes. 
I know about your dreams. I've known for quite some time. Now, his reaction is strange to me. He goes, thank you for being honest. Yeah. Instead of I'm gonna saying you're manipulating you. me. Yeah. Do you think he's a beta, not an alpha dog? Yes, he's a beta. Now he's walking away and he's like, you've got a great gift. And he's going, don't you understand? We're not doing this anymore. George went through some sacrifices too. He only has a third story office now. Right, right. All right, let's listen. It's man's mission to build a better world. Things don't have purposes. I don't know if life has a purpose. I can't say that it matters. It is. We are. That's an Ursula. Earth. That's a Taoism kind of Ursula Le Guin thing. George, I know they just threw it right in there. Well, she, she. It's in her book, I'm sure. It was also Porky's. It might not be her idea. <laughs> she didn't like Porky's. <laughs> no, pa Porky's would come later. This was written in 71. Porky's was in 80. Gotcha. Taoism influenced Porky's. What? Porky's influenced Ethel Gwyn's Taoism. I can't let you use me anymore. You go, girl. That's it. Stand up for yourself, George. You need me. Would you know that? Without me, without yeah. me, you're nothing, George. Oh, look at him! What an asshole! Vulcan death grips him every time. Now, what does it mean? Why are we cutting away? You know, in a film, that one scene should lead to the other, and if it's an abrupt True. cut, there's a reason. Like, meanwhile, back at the lab, you know. But there's some television flourishes, an exterior shot, or like. No, but, no, but okay, we were in the hall. He falls down. I'm not doing this anymore. Now he's in the couch, getting whammy jammied again. You've watched pornography. They're talking in the hall. They cut to a that's painting a, on the wall. Then, that's then a good they're, point. they're in the office doing it. You're right. I do accept that in pornography. Why wouldn't I accept it here? <laughs> it's, it's seminal science fiction uh, PBF work. <laughs> slouch this was only filmed in two weeks really that's very yeah. impressive dallas city hall the tandy center fort worth Hyatt regency dallas and reunion tower dallas fort worth international airport the dallas fort worth water gardens wow a vacated mobile oil building in fort worth uh, Dallas was also used for this kind of futuristic look for uh, RoboCop and Logan's Run. Right, that's right. And, uh, and that was supposed to be Detroit and RoboCop. Right. Now, look, he wants to dream peace on Earth, right? Right. Now, what would unite peace on Earth more than aliens invading? So oh, he, dreams, he dreams of, right, we would unify to go... So he dreams of aliens attacking their moon base. Oh, not our moon base. Yeah, we have our a moon base? base. We got well. Yeah, we saw it in um, uh, first. What's man. that movie? Nailed. Uh, oh right, nailed. Yeah, we saw the the moon base that'll keep us un non blowed up. Yeah, that's right. Keeps us safe and non blowed up. That's a good. Okay. That's a good pull, Carl. Now Haberman's like. I mean, Dr. Haber's like, I told you to dream of world peace. Not that aliens attack the moon. 
Now they're all freaked oh, out. Okay. Battle in space. Alien forces attacking the Earth colony on the moon. We got to give like a co-starring credit, screen credit to the window of this office because they're constantly <laughs> staring at it. That's right. I'm acting. I'm, I'm acting. DC was now outside. It's I unbelievable. I'm cracking up. Look out the window. If you dare. So this is another example of Haber's trying to do a nice thing and the dream has a negative bend. So now he's like, you must go and dream it away, George. Dream it away right now. And George is like, don't you understand? Whatever else I'm going to dream, it's not going to work out like they just dream away. Better it's just like leave what bedazzled. What movie bedazzled? Oh, no, there's no more movie bedazzled. You dreamed it away, George. I love that. Peter Cook. No, Brendan Fraser. How can Brendan Fraser remake something that's never been made, George? Elizabeth Hurley's been waiting in her trailer. There's no film to remake. Lay down, lay down, dream it back. I want Dudley Moore. Peter Cook, Whippy's hamburger. Quit. You wake up, the aliens are invading the Earth. You idiot. But well, at least we got <laughs> bedazzled back. Well, that is a good point, George. But still, the aliens. We watch her copy of uh, Bedazzled, which now is willed into existence. Lay back down and wait. Dream away, Brenda Starr, instead. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so... I say so because I just want to know what's next. The aliens came. Well, the aliens are on the moon. They didn't come to oh. Earth. Oh, thank God. Important. Yeah, thank God. Oh, don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> what about... You dream of here. Is there going to be a moonfall in this movie? Is, the moon gonna fall? Is there a moonfall in this movie? Now, his imagination is not that crazy. He'd dream about the moonfall. Okay, so Heather's on the lookout for um, George. I don't know why. It's like, George isn't upstairs. Do you know where he is? So the landlord will essentially say he's at his summer home that he won in a government lottery. We get that said earlier. He has a summer, he has a like a, a ho home by a lake that he won in a government lottery. I, I don't get it. This was before, like, Dreamland. Nice photos of your kids. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's really you. Do you have any photos of your children? <laughs> oh, look at my wallet. <laughs> They're laminated. Now, this film was a big hit on PBS. It was one of their highest-rated shows ever. But it had to get shelved. Uh, it... it Okay, let's see. I think it went to where is it? Where is it? It got it won a Hugo Award. That's um, science fiction. Okay, after its initial broadcast in 1980, Lath was occasionally showed over the next eight years. But PBS rights to rebroadcast expired in 1988. Then they have a Beatles song in here. I get hot by with a little help from my friends, and it plays into the plot. Right. And like I don't know, whoever, Michael Jackson, whoever owned the Beatles things were like, nah, uh, uh, you can't use that shit. You got to pay us. So they worked out a deal where they paid them much less money to have another artist record. Yes. And so that's why this thing was shelved. That was, deal was struck in 2000 and this came back. Oh, that's great. So this version would probably have, well, I don't know. Yes, it will have the cover version. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, that's kind of dangerous. Television didn't really figure that out with with uh, songs because they were able to get the rights 
for that broadcast, you know? Well, they didn't have the rights at the time. It's just that the Beatles didn't say shit. Right. Yeah. And then in then they the in nineteen eighty eight the thing it just expired. And then they were gonna go to re up that and the Beatles people uh, the Beatles had to negotiate a special agreement with the composer of the film score, a deal with the Beatles recording ex ep out, uh, which is an integral plot point. A cover vision, a version replaces the Beatles' own recording, which would have taken too long to clear and cost an arm and a leg 20 years because of a copyright issue. Once the issue was resolved, the film was cleaned up. Two-inch quadruplex videotape? I don't know. It was rebroadcast and released to DVD with an interview of Ursula Gwynn by Bill Moyers. Wow. Which aired with the rebroadcast. And I already told you about how the original was lost. Yeah. Yeah, so. You know, so out, of all, out of all the bands you could pick, you pick the Beatles. Picking a song for the Beatles is pretty ballsy because that, well, that was, definitely will bite you back. Ursula... Uh, it was in the book because it right. fit into the plot. Uh, I don't know. Okay, so now they're making a big fucking mistake. They're like, we don't need this doctor. We'll just dream everything peacefully. I'll hypnotize yeah. you. But it's the same thing, of course. He's going to dream whatever he dreams. They like spilled mercury on the ground. Don't worry about it. I got it. I'll pick it up. I guess maybe not Mercury. So he goes, dream about the, you know, like the world being nice and a healthy place and everything is okay and there's no more aliens on the moon. Tomorrow, when you're <gasps> you will feel rested and well. Now, go to sleep. Now, she doesn't say Antwerp. That's the key word. Oh, right. So he's never going to come out. This is like, you know, things are bad when Leonardo DiCaprio shows up in your dream. <laughs> now we're going to see a little bit of dick. Now we're All only right. going to see it for one second. And it's just the little cap of the head. Okay. okay. So be on the lookout for a dong. The mushroom cloud. Right. Now this is Bruce Davison's dong. It's for real. Okay. Now he we're going to see PBS. We're going to see the sea turtle again, and after the sea turtle cuts away, he's going to get up, and we'll see the dong. Okay, here we go. Here All we right. go now. He's getting up, and when he, he's getting up, All right. watch his crotch area. Okay, that's the second turtle. Watch and... Oh, there it is. It's gone. Wow. Did you get it? I did. Although I was looking at his ass, too. I think it must be impressive. Okay, this is the alien. Oh, for who evaded the moon base? Yes. This is his dream. Now, look where they're coming. They're coming to Earth? Yeah! To Pittsburgh? You idiot! To Portland. Oh, uh, Portland. I don't know Plus, where they're coming. They're invading the Earth, and we're going to... We're going to try to battle them. Is this the West Germany footage, maybe? Yeah, maybe. From PBS West Germany. Look at that effect. They just did a saucer, just light. I've, I've seen better ELO covers. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's a good call. Chicago uh, has a better UFO on their cover. 
So now it's like, wake up. Wait. Now, check out this wacky-ass car outside. Now, it's so 70s, but it's so 70s trying to look modern. So I think that's why they used it. See it? Yeah, it's a little compact sports car. Sports car? Like... No, Michael. That's no smart sports car. It's like a smart car kind of thing. Oh, I see. It looks like a sneaker from the 70s. A what? A sneaker. A sneaker. Yeah, yeah. It was, I think, it was a book... Uh... The mention that like they try, I think it was a lampoon thing that the car looks like a sneaker. So now they're saying they have to go to Haber because okay, on the radio we're hearing that we have anti defense, anti anti alien bombs, but they have a device that can control the bombs and bl they they're blowing them up, blowing themselves up. Oh no. So there's no hope for Earth. There's no hope for Earth, and the escalator is out of order. Now they're running. It's well, it's temporarily stairs, uh, as uh, what's that comedian would say? Mitch Hedberg. Mitch yeah. Hedberg. Yeah. So they're running to see. Now, why do they think they need to see Haberman? You see, He's I told you this would happen. But Haberman Haber. doesn't know he wasn't in the room when he dreamt it. I'm sorry. I mean Haber. Yeah, that's a good point, Mike. That's a good point. I had let that go in the point of that plot right, point. Right, at this no, point. Yeah, because you're suspending disbelief because it's hard, but... You know what? Honestly, he must understand. It's like a Russian doll that he's aware of certain changes, but there's certain changes that he might not be aware of. So if okay. whenever this guy approaches him and says, you know, Willard says, uh, hey, there's something up with Ben, he's going to have to take him at face value because he may yeah. not know something that may have occurred so he just thinks there's an alien invasion george walks in the door and he goes you're behind this you dummy oh you mean the aliens attacking the earth and not our moon base it's always been that way look how they skip the step of make yourself comfortable lie prone just fucking we go know, to sleep, we bitch. know <laughs> well we have to get to the news hour at 10 so they gotta run okay this now up. turn it on he's dreaming peace and an alien shows up of course finally someone shows up The alien saying, we are peaceful. Exterminate. No, it's not a civilian. You're supposed to be an alien. Well, well, Mission accomplished. They're nice aliens now. Don't play games with me. So what did he do? He dreamt the alien to come over? He dreamt that the aliens were nice. Yeah, he dreamt the alien would come over, I guess, and talk yeah. to Haber. This guy in his dreams has caused nuclear disaster, uh, a, a plague, a, plague. A, a moon destruction, yeah. and alien contact. Now, what occurred to me, like, the second time I watched this film is, there's no, it's not, they're not real aliens. Like, this doesn't mean there's life on other planets. He dreamed it, you know? Right, we don't know where they're from. So he's being an asshole to Haber. And then he's, he's like, don't you have someone to call? And Haber's like, yes, of course. They're peaceful, they're peaceful. Who's he calling? Secretary Shikovsky, please, Bill Haber calling. Secretary Chifkovsky. 
Hello, Dream, please. Listen, listen, listen. Oh, yeah. Hello, Brian, Dream, Brian. Please. Listen, Nat, about yeah. this alien thing, <laughs> I think I've gotten it figured out. Yeah, that's what I want you to hear. It's a little dumb, right? About this alien thing. Always scheming for himself. I think I've got it figured out. They're peaceful, you know. Now, look, he shows up with orderlies. Like, yeah. He's like done fucking around. Like, George, no more of, you know, you're doing what I say now. You're going to dream what I fucking tell you. Or he's going to get a massage from those guys. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's one thing I like about movies. The, the male orderlies, like in uh, uh -huh. Long Weekend, they're always like these big guys that take no shit, right? Like right. they're always, you know, that's their job. Action movies like the the henchmen, you know they're indispens indispensable. They're going to get a bullet in the eyes. But these guys, you can't yeah, fuck with these guys. That's right. You're not going to kill them. You no. might best them at some point in the plot. But mo throughout most of the film, remember in uh, Buckaroo Banzai, he was like, laugh while you can, monkey boy. <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah, the, time, the orderly was like, hey, maybe, <laughs> maybe I just got warned about something to come.